We're doing a series called Lit, and um, we are, the reason why we're doing it is because we're all kind of like faced with challenges of the present moment, and our attention gets divided, and I think I've just experienced that. Things get a little chaotic in our lives, um, whether it's the pace of the day or the challenges of technology. Um, we begin to lose kind of like focus of what we're doing with life. And, and then we allow that to become normal. That becomes our normal, that we're, we're not focused, we're not directed, we're not intentional about how we live our lives. And, and so um, I, it's kind of a time when, in my own personal life, where I'm thinking about, okay, you need to change some things. Or are you satisfied with where your marriage is? Do you, do you like the way that you talk to people? Do you like the way that you go through your day? Do you like the way that you wake up? Do you like how you uh, interact in conflict? Are you satisfied with your life? And as I began to look at it, I realized there's a lot of stuff I'm not really satisfied with. And, and there's about five words that pop up when I think about what we experience. They are scattered, hurried, reactive, exhausted, and harassed. Just kind of like maybe find, find yourself in one of those words. For me, scattered is when the schedule does not reflect our priorities. There are things that you want to do. There are things that you should do. But scattered is when you're, you're really not doing those things. And, and your schedule is kind of moving you around. Or, or maybe you're hurried. You know, you're, you're moving from place to place so fast that you're not able to finish the task, the quality that you want it, it to be done you know, it, it, it's like I'm thinking about going out with my wife, Susan, and as we go out and plan to go on a dinner together, we, we head on out, and, and I want a time for us to connect and talk. Maybe we've been kind of uh, arguing a little bit, and we need to, like, have this moment together because life has hurried us. And so you're sitting down at the meal, and all of a sudden, you get a text message. And, and all of a sudden, you know, you look at the phone, and you shouldn't, but you do, you pick up the phone, you look at it, and you realize it's, oh, it's one of your kids, and the grand want to bring the grandbaby over, and we'll be there in an hour. And so it's like, okay, well, let's finish this up. The, the kids are coming over. We need to get back to the house as fast as we can. And then all of a sudden, you realize you had this moment that was intentional, and then you allowed hurry uh, to enter in, and you didn't finish it with the quality of staring in each other's eyes and having conversation, holding hands while enjoying a, a dessert together because you allowed yourself to be hurried out of it. Maybe your life is reactive. You're constantly responding. You're constantly responding to demands. Well, they gotta do this. Now, somebody just called, they need me to talk to them about this, and, and then I've gotta go do that with the kids. Or maybe you're exhausted. Exhausted is being, uh, you're just wearied by the task without feeling fulfilled. You know, that's how I feel when I'm, uh, have to do yard work. Yard work is kind of like you got to do it. The weeds are growing. Neighbors are complaining. And then they put that orange sticker on your front door. Then you realize, yeah, I think I made a better mow my lawn. And so you get out there and you, you mow it. And, and it's like you get it done and you're wiped out. You're tired. It took three and a half, four hours. And you just know you got to do it again next week. And so you just kind of go through this process of just being exhausted from tasks, or you're harassed. You're living under the demands or priorities of somebody else, something else. You're just harassed. It's like you're not living for 
any sense of meaning or fulfillment, but you're just being shoved, 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 shoved. I know that most of you as parents, and I know it particularly falls to moms a lot of times. It's not always that way. But when school starts up, all of a sudden there's a new level of chaos that, that enters in. And, and most of this is not because of poor theology. Most of this is not because of lack of biblical uh, information. It seems that we just allow ourselves to get run off the road. And when you get run off the road, you know, life just seems to break down a little bit more. Have you ever driven off the road? Have you ever been, like, focused on something else? And you they've got those little notches now uh, right there at the emergency breakdown lane that once you go over it, you kind of... And then you go back. Some of you have cars that do that, that will nudge you back in. And that's pretty cool. That way you don't have to think at all. That way you can stay distracted while you're driving or texting. You can get some of your best texting done with vehicles like that. And But also, but there'll be a point when you... And you come back in. But then there's a point in life when you hear the... And you just don't care. Or you ignore it. Or instead of moving to the left, you move more to the right. What happens when you move a little bit further right into the emergency lane? You pick up everybody's accident that's happened before. See, that's where all the glass is. That's where all the nails that have fallen out of the trucks. That's where all the bumpers are left. After an accident that happens on the highway, it's all swept into the emergency lane. And the more you find yourself coming off the road of meaning and direction, you find yourself in a breakdown lane, and you find yourself picking up all the accidents of the world. And that's what happens to a lot of us. We get caught up. We get harassed. Schedule pushes us, kids, marriage, arguments, conflicts, money, reactions, and then we, we end up off the road. We don't feel like we have any real purpose or meaning. So this, this series is going to be about establishing some sort of rule of life, an intentional, conscious plan to keep God and fulfillment in the center of everything we do, a rule of life. That's what we're, we're attempting to do. And today I'm going to be talking about a lot of stuff uh, uh, because we've got to lay the groundwork for it. But what we're trying to avoid is managed mayhem. I think that's how, I think that description really kind of worked for me because we're always on the edge of something just like going like bad, like really bad. I mean, like you might be in a marriage that's like that. It's managed mayhem. You say something snarky, she says something snarky, you know, and you're just on the edge of this being like the worst and it being ma'am. Or maybe with the kids, maybe like you have a 17-year-old boy at the house and, and, you know, you try to pacify, you try to get along, you try everything to make work out, but you're, you're not really succeeding, but you're managing the mayhem. You just don't want anybody to, to lose it. And, and for a lot of us, our thought life or is we're, we're just on the border of managed, we're managing this, this sense of mayhem that's really so close to us. And then we call that ordinary. So the Apostle Paul talks about this. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, he, he talks about what we're going to be doing for the next couple of weeks together. He says, therefore, be careful how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making most of your time because the days are evil. So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, when people hear a phrase like the making the days are evil, a lot of times Christians tend to think of, ooh, the Antichrist, 
you know, uh, the mark of the beast, the days of the evil. It's like, Pastor Paul, do you think, think the end is near? Do you think this is the end? Do you think it's like the world's worse than it's ever been? I don't know. Those Athenians were pretty whacked. And the Corinthians, they were way off. And the, and the Babylonians, and just, has anybody read about Caligula lately? I mean, it, there's been some really whack, crazy things that have gone on in the world. But what I think the Apostle Paul is talking about is that when we're not careful about how we, we walk, meaning careful not in the sense of anxiety, but in the sense of ordered with purpose and meaning, when we are foolish, meaning we, we are just going with the flow, when we don't have any particular direction to our lives, that life always degenerates into the days of evil, that we always go from bad to worse. We never just go from bad to better unless we have a plan. But life degenerates. It's life and purpose and meaning become derelict. Just think about that word, derelict. It's like something that has been that should have been done that wasn't done, something that's out of the order of what it was intended to be. It is somebody can go derelict. Um, uh, a, a vehicle can be derelict. Uh, a task can be derelict. It's, that, it, it's, it's supposed to be set one way, but then it ends up this other way. And, and I believe what, that's what the apostle's talking about. He says, listen, when you're not thinking out what you're doing, when you're, not, when you're walking in foolishness, and, and foolishness doesn't mean just stupidity, but meaning that you just, you know, it is what it is. You know, it is what it is. I am what I am. They're going to be who they're going to be. And he's like, listen, that's not, a, I want you to be wise. I want you to, I want you to begin to think about how are you going to maintain purpose, wisdom, love in your life? And he challenges the disciples about it. He says, think, perceive, lay out, occupy your life. That's what the word careful means here. He's like, perceive what's going on. What's going on in your marriage? Have you thought about what's going on in your marriage? Have you, have you thought about how you're going to walk this out? Do you have a plan for it? Or are you just kind of hoping your marriage works? And so many of us do. We just And Paul's saying, listen, be... Be wise, don't be foolish, but be wise. Then he says, make the most of your time. And I love this because most of us think that we don't have enough time. We think our problem is there's not enough hours during the day. The apostle says, well, we're, God's not changing how many hours you have in your day. The problem is not how much time you have, it's whether or not you're redeeming the times. It's how you're using the time that you have. But most of us are being harassed. Most of us are, are, uh, are constantly fighting, constantly um, responding and reacting. And the apostle is, is telling us, he's like, listen, you're not going to get any more time, but you just need to use your time more wisely, thinking it out, not in mindless go with the flow, reactionary style, but rather, he says, that you may know what the will of God is. Put your head together with God's. It's like, God, how would you raise a 17-year-old? God, what would you do if, if your husband's dealing with depression? God, what would you do in this situation of life? And he says, don't just go with the flow, but rather be wise. And so what we're doing in this series uh, called Lit is that we're gonna be looking at about where maybe our lives have gotten off track and some of the structures that we can add back in that are part of God's will 
for our lives to get back on the road. So I started to think about my own life, about where I get off track in my daily life. I've, I, I've, God's really put his finger on a couple areas of my life. I, I look at technology way too much. I mean, I, I mean I, I'm really, uh, I've noticed my brain was melting the other day. I mean, it was just like melting. It's like if something came up and I had to read it, I'd start to read it, and I'd be like, <laughs> you know, I'll download the book, you know, and, and so it's like, you, it's like, Paul, you can't read anymore, and it's like, well, it's like, but I can watch, and so I can watch 10 seconds or 15 second Instagram or TikTok things, and I'm like, <laughs> and then I'm crying, looking at the next one, baby, the doggies, the, how do they get that dog to talk? I cannot believe they can do that. And I'm just going through it, and all of a sudden I realize my mind is melting. I can't stay focused. I can't read. And, I, and, and so God is really challenging. It's like, dude, you need to get back to getting away from technology. I mean, I, another thing that, that happened to me is I get these headaches, and they're like sinus headaches, because I was, I was brewed in the Northeast, and then I was poured in the uh, south. And so it was, uh, my uh, scientists just don't like everything that happens around here. So I figured, okay, I've got a problem with these headaches. I got to get rid of these headaches. So what I need is an essential oil. I don't know how I fell for it, but I, <laughs> I figured that I needed an essential oil in my life. And because maybe that's the easiest thing I could probably think of. So I texted my daughter, and, um, you know, I texted my daughter and uh, about, hey, I need, what essential oil should I take for headaches? And so she surprisingly responded back with this one. It said, a few notes from your daughter who has absolutely no medical education. That's how she started her text. Then she said, have you been adjusted by a chiropractor lately? Because uh, I have all kinds of disc issues. Then she asks, are you eating overly processed foods? Um, are you eating fake sugars? Are you drinking enough water and are you drinking too much caffeine? Ah, oh no, don't you give me that. I want an essential oil. I want nine drops of eucalyptus because that will change my life. And But yet what she was pointing me back to is like, hey, have you gotten off course someplace? Have you, uh, you know, are you taking care of your back? You know, you got that neck thing. Maybe you get neck pain. Or are you eating overly processed foods? Of course I am. I mean, somebody says, well, this food hasn't been processed. I'm not eating it. I'm like, I want 20 steps of process. I want to make sure that that thing's completely ready for me to eat. It's like, well, you know, are you drinking... Um, like, I'm like, how much water should I be drinking? She was like, 128 ounces a day. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. I'm like, I don't even drink 30 ounces a day. So then I went into this whole thing on Amazon trying to find the right jug, okay? Just a side note, did you know I talked about them the other day, the Stanley Cups? And then there's the competitive Simply Modern Cup. And so... I was going to get one. I was ready to order. It was in my cart. I was going to have a 40-ounce jug with me. And then my daughter told me 
that men don't buy these. These are for women. And I'm like, oh, we're back to men and women again. Okay, no problem. And I'm like, well, what should a man be doing? So she sends me these camouflage ones that they're like these uh, uh, water things that you take to the gym. They have a camouflage on them and they have a buck knife for field stripping a deer on them and all. And I'm like, I want the pearlized one. You know, I want the one with the leopard pattern on it. And she's like, so and I'm like, there's no way you're drinking 128 ounces of water a day. Anybody here, are you drinking 128 ounces of water a day? It ain't working, man. I <laughs> I'm no, seriously. Anybody here? How about uh, 40 ounces? Anybody drinking 40 ounces? Okay, all right. So some of you have bought into it. See, my, my, my point is, is that I was looking for a God solution this way when really it mattered was, what is your structure? What, how are you living your life? Um, what are your patterns in your life? As opposed to looking for some sort of magic fix to us. So Paul is talking about the empowerment and flourishing that comes from being intentional, habitual in the ways that we honor God and we import and live out his wisdom. He's being very intentional about it. It's like, hey, you need to strategize. You need to think this through. You know, we have these objects in the back of our our houses and also particularly where you go to get married. They're called trellises. And a trellis is usually made out of wood and it's, it's kind of a fancy thing. There are some iron ones. I know we have some iron workers here with us today. But trellises are really an interesting thing because um, in Charleston, anything grows. You can grow anything in this city. You just, you take, a, you take some watermelon after a party and throw it in the backyard. You know, six months later, you got watermelon grown. I've got pumpkin patches on the left side of my house where we would chunk our pumpkins after, you know, the fall was over, and they would just sit there and they would just grow. See, you can grow. There's no problem with growing. You can grow a family. You can grow a marriage. You can grow um, a life. You can grow a thought life. That's not the problem. Things are going to grow. The question is, is are you growing it the right way? Are you pleased with what you've been growing? And the purpose of a trellis is a structure by which you begin to develop and organize how life is going to happen. One, it, it benefits the plant because it's not growing all over itself. It, it's no longer a nuisance because it's being guided, but it also beautifies. It makes it more enjoyable because now the plant grows up, the jasmine or whatever flowers that you've got are growing up all over the trellis. The stuff was going to grow. But the question is, is how was it going to grow? What was it going to look like after it, it grew? And so a trellis is a system that we use to develop, I mean, to direct our growth. So let me ask you, and this is what Paul is saying, is like, are you directing the growth? Yeah, so you're a mom. That's awesome. You know, um, what's your trellis? So you had a baby, but what's your trellis? So you're a dad, so you fathered a child. That's great. That's awesome. What's your trellis? How are you going to raise that boy? How are you going to raise that daughter? You know, um, so you got married. You found somebody to love. You found somebody. You met them at a nightclub. You did a little dancing, and 
You know, you have the same, you watch the same sitcoms and you enjoy it. It's like, okay, that's cool, that's awesome. You got married, that was amazing. And you probably got ma married under a trellis. And so, but what is your plan? What is your trellis? What is your framework? It's like, well, we're just married. It's like, well, that's, that's the problem. You're just married. There's no intentionality. There's no structure. There's no deployment of wisdom or being careful about what you're doing, like laying out the care of how you want the thing to grow. And so many of us are just going through life that way. So let me introduce you to a word that we're going to be using that actually stands for our, our title. It's the word liturgy. Now, if you're from a Lutheran, Catholic, or Episcopal background, you're just like, you're jacked right now because the word liturgy is, you, you know what the word liturgy is. And, and in the formal sense, the word liturgy means a pattern of worship. It is uh, a pattern that um, draws us into worship and we use to draw the image of Christ out of our lives. For instance, communion is part of our liturgy. We do it every Sunday. It is an expression of the love that God had for us, but also it is an expression of that dying and sacrifice and loving is part of what we do. And so we have it. Creeds are part of liturgy. Prayers are part of... Matter of fact, when the disciples were talking to Jesus, they didn't, they didn't know how they should now be talking to God as a result of this relationship with Jesus. So they said, teach us how to pray. Give us a pattern. Give us a liturgy. Tell us. And so we said, okay, when you pray, pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And he goes through the Our Father. And so what he does is he gives them a pattern of, of conversation. Because a lot of us, you say, well, do you talk to God? Well, I don't know how to talk to God. Okay, you need a liturgy. And there are biblical liturgies. There are ways that God talks to us, and God wants us to talk and interact with him. That's part of the flow of relationship. And so for us, the word liturgy is going to be the pattern of living that we repeat over and over again to restore intentionality to our lives, to follow the pattern of God's wisdom and love for our lives. How does God want the marriage to work? How does God want me to be as a father? How does God want me to date? How does God want me to use my money? How does God want me to deal with conflict? What is the liturgy there? So let me just say, don't fool yourself if you're sitting here today and you and you think, well, I, I'm not into that. It's not my personality. It's, you know, I took the Myers-Briggs test and I'm not very structured. Or I did the DISC uh, assessment or, I, you know, the one with like four different animals and it turned out you were a kitty cat or, or you, you know, you were uh, an orangutan or some, some other thing, you just swing from trees through life. And so a lot of us will be like, I'm not really organized. I, I really don't, not into this liturgy thing. But, but don't fool yourself you're already using this. You already have patterns and habits of life that you're, you're already have deployed and you're living out. You're waking up and getting out the door routine is real. It's a liturgy. You go through a certain amount of things. Somebody gets up, somebody makes the coffee. You probably, I don't know, how many of you shower before you get your coffee? Yeah, good. Oh, man, life's so much better with, with coffee first, man. You start, okay, you start the coffee, and then you go to your shower. Oh, man, what a good usage of time right there now. 
See, I can't do that. I got to get it. I got So, like, so I, we have, me, me and Susan have a liturgy. We roll out of bed. We, you know, she goes, takes a shower. I go down. I make a pour over. I grind the beans. I do all that. And, and I'm there. And we have this whole, like, liturgy. Then we go into the backyard and we sit down in the chair and we sit and we talk. And, and we, it's a liturgy. It's a habit. Some of you are like that. You have that. You get up. You go wake up the kids. You, um, uh, get them ready, you're doing a couple other things at the same time, you shove them into the minivan, you take them, you enter to the west and exit to the east, and, and you drop them off, and you go to work, and we have this whole liturgy. You're already doing it. Uh, you may not like your liturgy, and you may not like what your liturgy is saying about you, the habits that you have. And you may say, well, I'm not very organized. Well, I'm here to say all of us are organized. I, I'm the least organized person you, you may know, but, but we're all organized. You say, no, I'm not. I'm like, no, you have a liturgy, a pattern, a habit already worked out on how you respond when people insult you. You already have, it's like an algorithm. You already have that worked out. Oh, this is what I do when they cut me off in traffic. I, I, I have like, it's like, you know, uh, as a Catholic, we prayed, Hail Mary, full grace of the Lord, with the blessed of Almost with the blessed Holy Mary, by the God, pray for us, and now with the our of death, amen. And then a little bit of, little bit of uh, uh, incense over here, and a little bit of water sprinkled on me there, and then that, that's what, what I would experience. Well, I do the exact same thing. You just cut me off in traffic. I'm going to run your dang butt off the road. <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to go in the breakdown lane, and I'm going to swoop around on your right side and swing back in front, and then slam on my brakes. Amen. And it's like, well, you're crazy. It's like, no, it's a liturgy. When somebody at work ticks you off, you immediately respond with a certain kind of way. Because why? You have, you believe in liturgy. You already have your liturgies worked out. How you're going to respond to some people? How about college football kicking off this week, huh? Wasn't that good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So sorry about that South Carolina game. Yeah, I'm serious. Um, but the uh, but you have. What do you do? You get your boiled peanuts from Timbo's off of Ashley Road, River Road. Get your Timbo's. Get your Cajun. Get your regular ones. And you get yourself your Bud Light and get yourself some Miller Light. First of all, let me just say, I don't know why anybody drinks light beer. I'm not a drinker, but I don't get light beer. I mean, if you're either going to drink it, you're not going to drink. But if you're worried about calories from your beer, you got a problem, okay? <laughs> you need to get a treadmill if that's your problem. I'm not endorsing drinking, but I'm just telling you, <laughs> there's stupider things, and that's light beer. So um, you got your light beer, and then what do you do? You get in front of the TV, you shove the kids out, and then you sit there, and you got your wings, and you watch Clemson play football, or you watch Alabama, or you and you got and you got the little shirt that you put on, and you got the little hat that you you got a hat, you you got a shirt too, you put it on, you got the whole thing, you put it on. What is that? That's liturgy. See, I'm trying. What I'm trying to communicate to you is that it's like, well, Pastor Paul using a word we don't know. I don't know. I you know this word. You just didn't. You never used it like this before. But we all have patterns of how we do things. Um, you have a liturgy about your night routine, about getting the kids to bed at night. 
You have a liturgy about this. You may not like it, and you may not like what, who wrote the liturgy for you, but you have a liturgy. One of the most significant things about any household or relationship is what is considered to be normal. See, what is normal? I mean, for you, because your normal is different than my normal. Uh, what's regular for you or ordinary for you is different. Well, it's this. Moments aggregate. Okay, so you have a moment, and then you have another moment, and they kind of aggregate into what we call a memory. And then memories begin to aggregate, and then they become what we call traditions. And then that's when you now have, as a aggregating of these moments, then becoming memories, becoming, that's your liturgy. It's like, for instance, every one of you probably have a liturgy about when you put your Christmas tree up. How many of you put it up the weekend of Thanksgiving? Okay. Um, how many of you take your tree down the day after Christmas? Raise your ugly hands up. <laughs> yeah. But you have a liturgy about that. My wife has a liturgy. Like, uh, don't put up the float, the, the inflatables, you know, too soon. And so we have a whole liturgy about that. We have a liturgy about the, the manger has to go up first and then the Santa Claus. Because we don't want to have an engraven image up, you know, of Santa before Santa, the Christmas. So we have this, like, liturgy thing that we do. Every single one of us have it. But the... But it's an aggregate of moments, and you're ha every one of us are having moments. You're having married moments, single moments, dating moments, drinking moments, um, financial moments, internal moments, and then they're, they're kind of aggregating together. And before you know it, that's what you call ordinary. That's what you call normal. Then that becomes your story and that becomes your personal culture. But it all came down to what you determined to be your, your liturgy. What, how are you creating these moments? My granddaughter, Jojo, is turning 14. And so what happens when they turn that age at this particular time in life is that when you ask their mom about what would she like for her birthday, here's the normal answer. Just PayPal us, Venmo us, or Apple Pay and let her get what she wants. And I know that that's functional, okay? I know that gets the job done. So it's like, okay, we usually do $100. And it's like, okay, we'll, we'll do $100. And Susan was like, I don't want to do this. I'm like, why? She's like, it's meaningless. It's like, so all of a sudden her PayPal account has $100 in it, and so she's eating that... Uh, uh, cheeseburger, and it's not from Papa and Susu. It's just money that was in her account with all the other money that came from all the other people that were in her account. And it, it, it's, it's an aggregate of money, but not an aggregate of meaning. I'm like, well, what do you want to do? She said, well, she loves Lululemon. I'm like, you sure? She goes, oh, yeah, she loves Lululemon. I'm like, okay. I mean, we literally had this conversation yesterday then let's be the Lululemon grandparents. I am a Lululemon grandpa. I mean, I am papa of Lulu, and, um, uh, a Lulu pa. And so I, I but, but we, I'm sorry. But so, so we decided, so Susan got in the car and we live in Hollywood, drove 45 minutes 
to the God-forsaken Mount Pleasant area, and then God went to Lululemon and got one of those bougie little cards for $100 and then drove back to, and then we're going to mail. It's like, well, that was a lot of effort. You could have just sent $100. But Susan said, no. I want her to remember that Papa and Susu thought out the gift and gave her what she wants. Now, one day she may tell us she doesn't like Lululemon, then we'll be, become the, the gap or Arapistali or whatever the, whatever's new. Am I old or what? Uh, uh, but the point is, I can just PayPal it and be done with it because it's so much easier or I can have meaning in it. And the problem is, is too many of us are just going through these aggregate moments, creating this memory and that becomes a story. And um, are you happy with it? Are you happy with the story of your marriage? Are you happy with the, what the aggregate has produced? Boy meets girl, boy marries girl, it becomes a marriage, and then it becomes what? Because if it's not intentional, the days become evil. Or what Paul, I believe Paul's saying is purposeless living is, is evil. It is the second law of thermodynamics. It is entropy. That wherever it started, if it's not moved upon with intentionality, it will always degrade to some lesser derelict form. But if you have liturgy, you're infusing purpose into every single moment of your life. And sometimes we need to become disappointed with our ordinary, our normal. So if you're here today and, and you're kind of, um, you're disappointed with your blood pressure, well, good. You need to do something about your blood pressure. You're disappointed with your, your 5K time. Well, that's good. Then you, you, can, you need to do something about it. You're disappointed with the quality of your time with your wife or with your husband. God wants you to feel that. Well, I'm disappointed with how it's turned out as a parent. You know, God loves you so much, he'll let you feel disappointment because he doesn't want you to be satisfied with what you've got. He doesn't want you to be foolish about it. But he also offers that it can be changed if we become strategic, if we begin to build a trellis to bring about um, the kind of change that God wants in our lives. So habits and liturgies are just these, they're these little routines of worship, of meaning, of love, and divine wisdom that we practice every single day. Our households are not just actions, but they become liturgies, and then that becomes the story of our family. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at these moments that we can capture. For instance, next week, we're going to be talking about the liturgy of waking up. Now, I'm hoping that next week that all of you wake up, okay? We're going to wake up one way or the other, but most of us are going to wake up. And, and, but the question is, is, do you have a liturgy for how you wake up? What are your thoughts? What's the first thing you do? When you swing your feet out, before you swing your feet out, when you're laying there, when you wake up too early and it's 4 o'clock and it's not time to get up, 
What is your liturgy in that moment? What is your liturgy when you wake up with somebody that you really don't love as much as you loved 10 years ago? What is your liturgy about going to bed? Do you have a liturgy about resolving conflict? Like when Apostle Paul says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. That's a liturgy. And if you take that liturgy and you plug it into your marriage, then it changes what your wake-up moment is like. Little, little liturgies that God has given us through his wisdom and through his word. The problem is, is most of us know this. Most of us, if you stop to think about what's a good parent, okay, what's, what's, let's just, what's a good daddy? Just think about what's a good daddy. Most of you know what a good daddy is. Uh, a good, what's a good mommy? You know what it is. But the problem is, is why aren't we that? Why is if we have so much knowledge what a good daddy is, what a good mommy is, but yet we end up down here so low? And it's not because of a lack of knowledge. It's because it's a lack of liturgy, a lack of habit. Well, what does a good, what does a, a loving dad do? Well, there's a liturgy for that. Dads, do not exasperate your children. Don't harass them. You know, there, there, there is liturgy that we can practice in our relationships. And so for a lot of us, we, we've got to begin to do the work of building this trellis. And I know some of you are like, I can't do this. I'm like, yes, you can. You absolutely can. Some of you are like your gym meatheads. Okay, some of you, got, some of you folks, I won't have you raise your hand, but you work out every single day. So much so, you've got what they call leg day, you've got arms day, you got chest day, you got cardio day, okay? And so you got, you got it broken. Some of you are so good in the gym that when you want to work on a muscle, you're not satisfied with, this is okay, but you want that one to be bigger. Not that one, not that one. You know the exercise for that one right there. It's kind of like on your arms, you know, like biceps will work like this, but then you got your triceps, it's like two-thirds of, of your whole arm. And then there's this little gap. It's a really annoying gap. Everybody's got one. But where your tricep attaches right here is that there's this little gap here. And trying to get muscle to grow there, but there really isn't muscle there. It's really just a tendon. And so but you'll do all these exercises. You'll see the guys in the gym looking in the mirror. It's like, what are you doing? Do you work with a jackhammer all day? No, I'm an accountant. What are you doing this for, you know? It's because you're trying to get this. That really looked weird, didn't it? It's because you're trying to get this one muscle. And then that same dude will tell me, I don't know how to love my wife. It's like... You can rebuild a carburetor, but then you're going to act like you can't read a book because it's the Bible. It's like, no, oh, that's bull crap. It's like, well, I don't know how to love a woman, but I know how to work out this particular muscle in my body. It's like, no, you can do what you want to do and what you value. And liturgy is your expression of worship. The problem is that some of us are worshiping the wrong thing. Our liturgies are wrong. So we're going to, as we go to communion, this is, this part had to happen first because you might be here today and you're just like all angry right now. Okay. I mean, it's like, I ain't having anybody tell me how to wake up. 
I've been waking up for 65 years without this doofus telling me how to wake up. Okay, if, if you are happy with the liturgy of your life, if you're happy about the way that it's happened, if your spouse is happy with it, if your 40-year-old child that you raised some odd year, 40 years ago, if you talk to them and they're saying you're amazing and it went great and you don't need to change and all that stuff, you just, you don't need, you're off for the next six weeks. Yeah, you're, seriously, you can be, you can go boating, uh, swing by Costco, say hi to Ricky when you go by. <laughs> I'm only teasing Ricky about this, okay? Um, so what any of this is going to make any sense is that we've got to be willing to be teachable. I'm 64 years old and I'm not satisfied with my life yet. I know I'm loved. I know if I died, I'm with my heavenly father. I know I'm cherished by him. I am loved by him. I am forgiven. I am cleansed. I am, I'm a saint with God and all that. I, I get all that. But that's who Paul was writing to in Ephesians. People who get all that. And he still told them, do not be foolish, but be wise. Understanding the times and the day that you live in and begin to be, apply care, trellis work, liturgy to your life. You want a great marriage? Well, then there's a liturgy for that. Look not on your own interests, but on the interests of the other. So before, mister, before you go buy your bass boat with your 401k money, find out what your wife wants first. You know, get, get the microwave fixed. Get the new countertops. And then go get your bass boat. So I shouldn't have to do that. Yeah, but that's the liturgy of a godly marriage. You know, instead of fussing at your 17-year-old son because he doesn't listen to a thing that you say. Well, here's the new liturgy. Have you ever listened to him? If he's not listening to what you say, it's because you're doing all the talking. It's time for you to do all the listening. Instead of trying to tell him what to do, listen to what's going on in his heart. That's a brand new liturgy. And the scripture talks about all these things. So it's going to be, um, it's going to be a good series. I don't want my brain to be mush with technology. So I'm going to have to control my technology. I want to get rid of my headaches. And there is no essential oil that's going to get rid of my headaches for me. What it's going to take is a trellis. It's going to take... A, Better eating habits, better sleeping habits, a little better, better cardio work, and begin to put together the trellis of wisdom and love that God has for every one of us. Yeah. Don't give up on your marriage. I don't know if you're here today and somebody you're thinking about, it's like, you know, we've been married now for 20 years and it's just not what I thought. You know, you're listening to him spit in the sink every morning. And it was cute when you're married for a year. And he did that whole, and then that, you know. And it was cute. And now you've been married 20 years, and it's just plain disgusting. And don't worry, ladies. It kind of works the other way around uh, also. And so you normally could get, Ordinary, you could just give up on that and find a perfect person. No, or you could begin to institute a liturgy that restores dignity to a marriage, that restores dignity to one another. 
a liturgy about your TV habits, how you're going to view things, a liturgy about alcohol. You know, do you, when's too much for you? Do you have a liturgy when too much is too much for you? That's the problem. So most of us just drink. We don't have anything. That's our liturgy. So God loves you so much. And, and so much so that Paul wrote to the Ephesians, they were already saved. They were already, if they died, they were going to go to heaven. They were already loved. They were already seen with Christ in the heavenlies. And he still told them, hey, come on, let's live wise. Let's flourish while we're here. Let's have patterns of the wisdom and the truth of God and experience what it's like to have a real marriage, a real family. And it's, and let me say, it's not too late. If you're over 60 and you're in my crowd, you're like, well, this is good for the young kids. You know, they're just having their kids. I've already screwed mine up. Well, no, seriously, some of us screwed up our kids. You gotta own that. Not, not to feel guilty, but it's like, yeah, I'm not satisfied with that. Let me just say it. You can teach a new dog, I mean an old dog, new tricks. You really can. You really can, with the wisdom and the love of God, learn new liturgies, new patterns that aggregate into a new memory, that aggregate into a new tradition, that aggregate into a new culture of your family. Anybody here can do it with the wisdom of God. Father, we thank you as we come to, to the table of Christ that reminds us of the sacrifice and the love that you had for us. The God that you allowed yourself to be placed upon a trellis, upon a structure to show us what love looks like. And so today, God, as we come and we eat and drink, remembering the sacrifice, the framework of love that you revealed for us, God, may we realize that we too are to pick up our trellis and follow after you. That we are to pick up the liturgy, the habit, the practice, the life, of the wisdom of God and the love of God so that it can become a memory, so that it can become a life, so that it can become a tradition, so that it can become a culture. Father, you love us so much. So today we surrender our old dog habits. Today, God, we surrender our hearts to become teachable, to learn anew, to lay aside an old ordinary and to pick up a new normal because that's what you're offering every one of us here today, a new normal. You're not offering us an essential oil. You're offering us a new normal. And it comes with the wisdom and the love of God lived out in liturgy, in practice, and in habit. So Father, Today, we start with the most important habit and remembering that we are forgiven and we are loved by God.